0: Well, I agree with Jason. It's good to be with church family and uh, so grateful for the relationships that are represented in this room and uh, so, so richly blessed. Well, this is the first Sunday of the new year, so you're probably expecting a, a New Year's sermon and uh, you're going to get one, sort of. We're going to talk about some things that uh, maybe at a, a little bit of a different angle uh, as it relates to, to New Year's resolutions, but New Year's resolutions in and of themselves are not a bad thing, right? They're things that we promise to do or we hope to do that improve our life in some way. Um, but they're pretty predictable, aren't they? There are really three main categories that these promises typically fall into. And you know what they are. Give them to me. What's one? Fitness. So health. I want to I go on a diet. I want to lose weight. I want to be better at exercise. So it has to do with personal health and well-being. What else? Save money is the other category. I want to get out of debt. I want to uh, save up money for uh, kids' college. I mean, there's some kind of financial goal. That's usually uh, one of the categories. There's one more. What else is it? Relationships, okay. And, and one of the ways I look at that is relationships in terms of things that you hope to accomplish, things you want to do. Uh, maybe if you're in school, you want to make one of the, the athletic teams, or you're getting ready for college, you want to make a certain score on the SAT, or if you're working, you want to get a promotion in your job, or You may just want a whole new job altogether, right? So these are the typical categories that New Year's resolutions fall into. And and I want to challenge us to look at those same basic categories, but make uh, commitments based on an eternal perspective and not just things that are good for this side of heaven, okay? And here's what I want us to do. When I think about New Year's resolutions... I think about things that we're promising to do to make life a little better. But this morning, I want us to make what I'm going to call new life resolutions, okay? Decisions that we're going to make in order to live more fully the life that has been made possible through our faith in Christ. And so instead of promises for improvement, these are what we're going to call kingdom commitments, okay? Kingdom commitments, promises that... We're going to make that somehow enrich the walk that we desire to have with Christ. Now, here's the difference between New Year's resolutions and kingdom commitments. New Year's resolutions, uh, number one, are like an a la carte line. You kind of pick and choose. I'd like to do this. I don't necessarily care about that. I'll do a little bit of this. And they fade with time, don't they? Well, kingdom commitments, I want to suggest to you, apply to all of us. They're not something that we pick and choose. It's the life we've been called to. So what we're doing is we are renewing a commitment to be the person that God's called us to be. And they apply to every single believer in Jesus Christ. Regardless of what stage or season or age you are, these commitments apply to you. And they all apply so that we are basically renewing our commitment to be the people that God's called us to be so we're going to kind of unpack these together and, and look at them with each other. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you and open your word. We ask that you open our hearts, that you open our eyes, that you give us the ability to, to see the truth of your word in ways that transforms our life so that these kingdom commitments become strong convictions in our hearts that they become evidenced increasingly in our lives, that we share these commitments together, that we encourage each other in these commitments, and that we really um, are devoted to living them out day by day. Father, this is our desire and our request to you this morning. And so we come and make that request as you've promised that we can come to the throne of grace with confidence. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So if you will, turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in several different places, but we'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And what we're going to do here is unpack the first commitment, and it is this. We are called to a commitment of inward renewal. Now, the reason this is important is because from an in, ex, uh, from a, uh, eternal perspective, What the scripture calls us to and helps us understand is that what's happening on the inside has far greater value than what we look like on the outside. That's an eternal perspective of a kingdom commitment towards inward renewal. So look at chapter 4, verse 16 in 2 Corinthians. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look at not, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, normally when we read this passage, we, we think about our physical bodies and how they're obviously decaying over time, and yet inwardly our spirit is being renewed. And that's true, but not completely. Because in a much bigger picture, this is comparing things that are eternal in contrast to those that are temporary. The body being part of it, but that's not all. Paul's been discussing the realities of living for Christ in a broken world. And so, if you would, go just look at verse 8. Just back up a little bit. Where he says in verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaking, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He's looking back to the realities of what it means to live for Christ in a broken world. And in verse 16, he says, don't lose heart because... What is temporary is being replaced with what is eternal. And I want to introduce you to something that, that, that I thought of when we were walking through it, and I made up my own name for it. It's called kingdom math. Okay, I believe this passage gives us a, a, an equation, and I'm going to call it kingdom math, and it goes like this. Ten minus two equals, are you ready? Two million. That's kingdom math. And let me explain to you what I mean. Verse 17 says that there's a momentary light affliction that's going to cost you something. Okay? It's the reality of a believer in Jesus Christ living in a broken world. Now, that loss may be a loss of comfort, maybe a loss of wealth, maybe a loss of influence or power, something that is sacrificed because of your decision to be faithful in your following Christ. But Paul goes on to say that that loss actually turns into what he calls an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Ten minus two equals two million. That's kingdom math. The loss of the temporal is replaced with an ever-increasing magnitude of the eternal. And notice that that renewal, according to this passage, is day by day. Did you see that? Day by day. It's not a storage system where we kind of build up these reserves so that we can really get serious about living for Jesus so that after we've built up enough reserve, we can just kind of coast from there. It's day by day, moment by moment, learning to live in dependence upon Christ as he provides for us just what we need it makes me think of the Lord's Prayer what did he say give us this day our daily bread it makes me think of the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the desert God supplied manna for them day by day do you remember what happened when they tried to store up that manna to carry over for future needs what happened it's spoiled overnight it spoiled it was god's way of saying no 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 trust me i'll give you just what you need day by day anytime we work to store something up we're doing one of two things we're either trying to build up reserves so we can coast or we're taking control in case god doesn't come through and he says no i want you to trust me day by day moment by moment this is a commitment to inward renewal, as we learn to walk with Christ day by day while we are at the same time loosening our grip on the things of the world. Because here's the reality. Your commitment to Christ, as is the case for any commitment, always costs you something. Every time you say yes to something, there's an attachment of saying no to something else can't tell you how many times in recent weeks and months I've looked back to a time in my life where I was uh, involved in doing triathlons and uh, cycling events and was in pretty good shape. And, and I today honestly look at that and think, how in the world did that happen? I mean, how did I have the time to compete at that level or to, to, to be in that good of shape? I mean, I look back now and think, how in the world did I do that? Honestly, I had the wrong assumption when I came on staff at the church. I kind of looked at it and I said, well, you know, my hours will be more flexible and so I'll be able to maintain that same level and that hadn't been the case at all. But here's the reason why. Every commitment you make comes with a cost. And I look back at that and there was a different season in life, but there was a cost. It cost me time with family. It cost me time with friends, other believers in Christ. And, and as Need it was to have that experience, I'm not willing to pay that cost anymore. I still want to be wise in the stewardship of my health, but there's just certain costs I'm not willing to pay. Todd Knaff did an Ironman triathlon, which is an amazing accomplishment. But Todd, let me ask you, would you be willing to make that same commitment every six months? No way. Because it costs way too much, didn't it? And there are too many other things in your life that are way more important than the rewards of that accomplishment. Congratulations and great for you. But we know that there are certain things that when we make a commitment, there's always a cost attached to it. And that includes our commitment to follow Christ. But Paul says this, and he wants us to understand the beauty of kingdom math. He says, look, whatever loss that is acquired because of your commitment to Christ, whatever cost is associated with that, there is an ever-increasing magnitude of eternal reward that far surpasses anything that you might have given up. Ten minus two equals two million. It's kingdom math. Now, one of the things that I want you to consider with me as we talk through this is, well, does that mean... That there's no reward this side of heaven? That all these sacrifices that we make in our effort to be faithful in following Christ have some heavenly reward but no present value? Well that's not true, and let me show you why. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Chapter 3, I may start in verse 9, just to see the flow of the thought there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another since, now this is the important part, you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and, here's the key, verse 10, have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. What this verse tells us, is that commitment to inward renewal of faithfully walking in fellowship with Christ has an immediate result in the life of the believer. You are being renewed. The truth of what Scripture says about who we are in Christ is that the old is gone and the new has come. That you are a new creation in Christ. There's not two natures that are coexisting in you and somehow battling for control in such a way that it would not be right for you to say as you encounter sin and failure in life, well, there goes my old self again trying to take control. Biblically, that's not a true statement. Because biblically, we are told you are a new creation. The old is gone. G-O-N-E. Gone. The new Has come. And so, what it means to be renewed is learning to live within this new identity of who you are in Christ. In other words, as we walk in obedience to God's will, we are transformed so that we are renewed to increasingly become the person God created us to be. Here's the amazing miracle of salvation at work in your life right now. Faithful obedience is what reverses the effect of sin's distortion and replaces it with the promise of God's redemption. Just think about that for a little bit. It reverses the effect of sin's distortion and replaces it with the promise of God's redemption. Another way to look at it is that Obedience is the antidote to the poison of sin. It's what the scripture talks about when it says beauty from ashes. That's what it's referring to. This transformation made possible from this new life in Christ where forgiveness and grace replaces guilt and shame. Where God's purposes replace selfish desires. Where hope replaces despair where reconciliation replaces broken relationships how many of y'all took time over the holiday to go see the movie unbroken it's a really uh, an interesting movie but having read the book it's only part of the story and if you read the book you know that's the case one of the things that was really impressive about the book that was not represented in the movie so you can go see the movie i'm not going to spoil it for you but one of the things that was significant as I read the book was the fact that, that this man um, had gone through such torture in a prison of war camp. And there was a particular individual, they called him the bird, who was responsible for doling out this punishment. And he kind of zoned in on the man, the main character, his name Zamparini, last name Zamparini. He kind of zoned in on Zamparini and, and gave him the full brunt of that torture and when Zapparini was finally released and came back to the United States. He, his life was a wreck. As you might expect, he had post-traumatic stress. He was an alcoholic. There was just And, and he couldn't sleep at night because he kept seeing the bird up in his mind and the torture that he was. And you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to kill him. He wanted to make his way back, find the man, and give him exactly what he deserved. And I'm reading the story going, I don't blame you. One single bit. But what's not represented in the movie was the miracle of transformation when one day, Zamperini goes to a Billy Graham crusade. And he, through that crusade, commits his life to Christ. And there was a miraculous transformation. And one of the things that transformed was he was just as adamant about going back to Japan to find the man. But not for revenge. He wanted... Reconciliation. It's unimaginable, unexplainable, unless there is a new life in Christ that totally transforms the way you view life. You see, the old is gone, the new has come. And that commitment to inward renewal that we are all called to make is that promise to be faithful in a daily walk with Christ as we learn to trust Him. And increasingly let go of the selfish pleasures of the world. That's our first commitment. The second commitment is this as Christians, we are called to advance God's kingdom. That's our second commitment. If you want to, turn to Matthew chapter 25. I'm gonna talk about a, a familiar parable. And instead of reading it, let me give you some of the highlights of this parable, because it's one that you know well, I'm sure. It's the parable of the talents. And in this parable, there are three servants. You'll remember that the master comes and gives the first servant five talents, gives the second servant two talents, gives the third servant one talent, and then he goes away without any information as to when he might return. Now, what's important to understand, to appreciate the significance of what just happened, is what is a talent, right? Well, a talent equals about 20 years' wage it's a lot of money. One talent is a lot of money. So in today's terms, you could say if you had an annual salary of $30,000 and you had one talent, that would be an equitable $600,000. Five talents, that's like $3 million that this master just gave to that servant. And so he's distributed his resources to those three servants and he expects them to Manage it well. Well, what we learn from the parable is that the man with five talents, it says, goes immediately. I'm not sure how far the master got down the road before he made his way to the market. And he trades to produce a profit to double what his master had given him originally. Second servant does the same thing with the same result. But the third servant, the one with one talent, says he goes and buries the treasure. Now, what we need to understand is that culturally... That was really common. Remember the parable that talks about the treasure hidden in a field? That's based on true things that happened in that culture because you didn't have banks that you put your money into. So if you had things that you possessed that were worth something, what you would often do is take them and bury them on the land where you lived. That's your security box in a sense. And that's why sometimes when people passed away, without ever having done anything, and then somebody else comes in and buys that land, it wasn't that uncommon. They might uncover that treasure that was hidden that's now theirs because now they own the land. So what that one servant did, my point is, was not that much out of the normal. Well, but when the master comes back, we see that he commends the first two who used his money in a profitable way, and he condemns the slave who did nothing. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice in this parable. In verses 21 and 23, you see that the amount of the return is not the issue because he gives the exact same commendation to the one who had five talents and doubled it as it did the one that had two and doubled it. He says, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into, my, into the joy of your master. You go down to verse 23, to the one who had two talents, he says the exact same thing. So the issue is not the amount of the return. The issue is the value the servants placed on the master's affairs. Because remember, whose money is this? The master's, right? And when they invested, who benefited? The master. Because you'll notice he doesn't turn around and give them money. He gives them responsibility. And tells them to enter into the joy of seeing what his work accomplishes. The joy of their master. The condemnation towards the slave who had one talent and buried it was this. His primary concern was protecting the resources. But think about this. If the master was interested in just protecting his resources, why wouldn't he have just taken all of those resources and buried them into the ground just like that slave had done? He could have done that himself. You see, in giving those resources to his servants, he wanted them to do something. It, it was a gift given with a purpose of stewardship. So here's what I want us to do. I want to take the principles of that parable, and now I want you to look at your own life. I don't want you to think about the resources that God has given you, but think beyond money here, okay? Think about your family. You've got some rich resources in your family. Think about your gifts and abilities that God's given you, each of us uniquely. Those are resources that he's given you. Think about the job you have. Think about your finances and the things that God has blessed you with. It's important to understand as you consider those resources that ultimately none of those belong to you. They were given to you. Did you create that child in your mother's womb? I mean, it, no. God knit each of us in our mother's wombs. We were created by him. These are his resources that we're asked to steward until he returns, of which date we don't know, do we? Well, with that in mind, we need to be reminded that our primary purpose is not to protect those resources. So as parents, our main job is not to give our kids a safe home so that they have the things that they want, so that they go to the college that they get the best degree in, so that they get the career that gives them the most chance to succeed. Our primary concern is not to even manage our money in such a way that we live debt free or that we're on a budget. Those things are important. But the goal ultimately is not simply to protect the resources. The goal is to use the resources in such a way that they advance the kingdom of the one who gave them to us in the first place. Do you see your family, a resource given to you by God, is the primary mission field for making disciples? As a church, do we see our responsibility is to come alongside families, to raise up the next generation of Christian disciples? Do you look at your job as the primary place of influencing others towards Christ? Because most of you have jobs where that's where you spend most of your time. Do you see that resource as the primary place of influence for advancing God's kingdom by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? See, the kingdom commitment that we are called to make is to use the resources God has entrusted to us to advance His purposes on earth. That's the commitment we're called to. A commitment to inward renewal, a commitment to advancing god's kingdom and i think those go together because one necessitates the other when you're walking with christ i can assure you your heart will be set on advancing his purposes on earth but there's another one let's look at it together it's the commitment to walk in god's will a kingdom commitment to walk in god's will turn to james chapter 4 verse 13 james is after the book of hebrews if you want to Look there, James chapter 4, verse 13. Says this in verse 13 of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year or three or a year there and and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and also do this or that. The first thing I want to point out here is that the greatest resource that God has given each and every one of us is the breath we breathe today. Did you see that? It says, if the Lord wills, we will live. And just stop there. Because that's the most important gift of God's grace that he's given us, the gift of life, the breath we breathe. He goes on, he says in verse 14, life is a vapor. It hears for a while and and, and then it vanishes. Our existence is a gift of God's grace, which is why if you go back to verse 3, let's look at that. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your Pleasures. The condemnation is seeking God's blessing for the purpose of selfish pleasures. Taking that gift of life and then living for yourself. It's like the prayer, Lord, give me another day so that I can do what I want to do. A kingdom commitment says, Lord, give me another day so I can do what you want me to do. Your existence is. Has a divine purpose. You have tremendous value in the eyes of God. You were created uniquely, gifted especially for a purpose in His grand kingdom plan. Your family, your friends, the school you go to, the job you have, please understand this morning that none of those are by chance, that they all have a purpose. They intend to be used in such a way that they shape you to be the man or the woman that God has created you to be and to influence the world to know who Christ is as your Savior. Our goal is to walk in God's will in order to fulfill that purpose. And There's a passage in Scripture that I think helps us understand how to flesh that out, so to speak. So turn to Romans chapter 12, very familiar passage, but let's look at it together. and perfect there's that word again it says that you may be renewed that renewal process renewing your mind so that you can prove what the will of god is and that only happens when you're willing to surrender your life when your body becomes as it says in this passage a living and holy sacrifice now if we were honest with ourselves and i hope we will be we hear that and there's a little bit twinge of of I'm not so sure I want to do that. That idea of of, of sacrifice, of surrender, often has a negative connotation attached to it because it represents something that I have to give up. I mean, I just said a little bit earlier every commitment you make comes with a cost. A lot of times we look at surrendering our life to Christ and we're thinking, if I give him everything, then he's going to take away the things that are fun and enjoyable and the things that may be best in life. Okay, two words. Kingdom math. Okay? You've got to think kingdom math here because it's not the way the world works. Your sacrifice becomes the source of your greatest gain. Give up worldly pursuits in exchange for what it says. The good, acceptable, and and perfect will of God. Ten minus two equals two million. Surrender is the channel through which God's greatest blessings flow. It's how you become everything He created you to be. It's the path of discovering what life was meant to be before sin messed everything up. It's living for something greater than what this world has to offer. Surrender is ultimately a transfer of trust. And here's the deal. It's a decision that you and I both make based on the conviction of where we expect to be most satisfied and fulfilled in life. And all of us surrender to something. You'll always surrender to that place where you feel like you'll find the greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in life. My encouragement to you this morning That if you confess a walk in relationship with Christ, then these kingdom commitments should be daily reflected in how you live that out. A commitment to inward renewal where day by day you are seeking to follow Christ and trusting that he provides you just what you need as you relinquish control and surrender to him. The image that came to my mind this morning as I was thinking about this, and those of you who've been to New Life Ranch, which is kind of in this section over here, will appreciate it. You know the rings there that you can swing to over the river at New Life Ranch? If you guys don't know about this, you stand on a platform and you reach for the first ring, or actually they hand it to you, but then you've got to use your momentum to swing to subsequent rings, and it looks real easy until you catch the first ring and realize, I don't know how I'm going to get to the next one. The reality is most people... Catch one and catch another and stop. And when that happens, they may let go, but they don't have enough momentum to get to that next ring ahead of them. Well, that's what I thought about this morning. (laughs) Because a lot of us are hanging on to eternal and temporal at the same time. And what he's calling us to is let go of this so that you can have momentum to move to the next thing that God has in store for your life. But as long as you're holding on to both, you're not going anywhere. So let me encourage you to day by day seek to follow Christ more and more faithfully, trusting that in doing so you become the person that he ultimately created you to be. Experiencing the fullness of joy and satisfaction in ways that this world can't even compare. Be committed to inward renewal. Be committed to advancing God's kingdom. Using the resources that ultimately belong to him To advance His purposes on earth. Don't just protect them. Don't just bury them because it's your job to make sure nothing bad happens to them. Use them to advance His purposes on earth. And then finally, be faithful in your commitment to walk in God's will. Surrendering worldly pursuits in exchange for divine blessing. Kingdom math. Ten minus two. Equals 2 million. So let me remind you, you won't be changed by anything you heard this morning. Unless you take what you hear and apply it to your life and live it out in some way. You're not changed by hearing. You're changed by hearing, being convinced in your heart, and doing it, doing something with it in your life. That's where change happens. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you with great anticipation, really. Because of the promises that you've made and the hope that we have in you that that we don't look ahead at what lies in front of us as hard as some of that may be. We know that this year is going to be filled with times of great joy and, and even times of great sadness. But you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That we can be strong and courageous and do not be dismayed for the Lord is with you. Let His right hand guide you. Let His will be produced in your life as you're faithful to obey Him. And trust that the very greatest of what God has in store is reserved for those who surrender to Him. And I pray that each and every one of us when we walk out the doors today live more faithfully in the fulfillment of those kingdom commitments. In the name of Jesus Christ who made all that possible, His Spirit at work within us, to the praise and glory of the name of our Father God. We pray this. Amen. Have a great day.